Good morning. During this COVID period, I was invited to join a group of New England pastors for a weekly Zoom call with an older, wiser pastor. This retired pastor has written books, led a megachurch, helped reinvigorate a seminary, and now in his 80s, he's choosing to pour himself into a handful of pastors like me who are still at work in the, the, the game that he invested so much of his life in. So every Monday morning at 8 a.m. for the past five months, I've latched onto this Zoom conference for about 35, 40 minutes each week. And through this weekly meeting, I'm getting to know about 10 other New England pastors who have roles very similar to my role here at North River. And together, we soak in the thoughts and the wisdom and the challenges from this retired pastor who has a heart for helping younger pastors like me navigate the demands of leading in the midst of challenging times. I like the fact that he thinks of me as a young pastor. That's a cool thought. A few weeks ago, this pastor began our session by asking one particular question. He said, in, in the midst of all of the racial turmoil that's going on in our world and in our country right now, if you were going to talk about the Bible's case for racial harmony, where would you start? And a few suggestions were thrown around, and I immediately thought of Galatians 3:28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ Jesus, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs together of the promise. Soon the group of us was engaged in an amazing conversation about the Apostle Paul's vision of where the church was headed because of what it means for us together to function as heirs of God's promise that was made thousands of years ago to Abraham. Well, that's our focus this morning. I'm glad to see those of you who are in-house with us here today, and I'm also glad to be with those of you who are watching us online this morning. Welcome to North River Church. You are all at North River Church no matter where you are because we're a hybrid forevermore going forward. Today our topic is Hope for Harmony. This is the final part of our Finding Hope series that we've been in for several weeks now, and we're going to look at why the gospel of Jesus Christ should be relevant to everyone, not just to Christians. Throughout this series, I've become more and more certain than ever before that people need to understand the gospel of hope the longer this crisis period persists. So what I'd like to do is present to you a foundation for hope for harmony. What is that based on? How do, how do we build that together? The first thought in this foundation of hope for harmony is that it starts with God's promise to Abram. I use the word Abram because that was his original name. The word Abram in Hebrew or the name Abram in Hebrew means father of a nation. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses, we read these words. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So much of what we hope for today goes back to a vision that God gave to Abram some uh, 4,000 years ago. I have mentioned this before, but I have a dear Jewish friend who's often said to me, 
What does it matter what God might have said to some Bedouin out in the desert? Well, my hope is that by the end of this service, we will all agree that it matters a great deal. And this is why we still focus on some of the promises that God made to Abram all the way back in that time. The Bible presents a worldview that helps us to see that our world is both wonderful and broken at the same time, at least partially broken. It is important that we see our world that way. To see it as all good fails to account for the evil and the danger that we are unable to eradicate from life, no matter what system that we buy into. To view it as all bad fails to appreciate the wonders that God has left still in place for us to enjoy. And so the Bible presents to us a picture of a world and a human project that were pronounced good by God at creation and blessed from the start, but human pride, outsized desires, and brief temptations led to patterns of self-interest, rebellion from God, visions of grandeur, and both racial and relational divisions that showed up very early after Eden and continue to wreak havoc in our world today. Then God planted seeds of hope for harmony with a promise that he made to one particular person. God made a series of promises to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12 and in the chapters that follow. He promised to make Abram into a great nation. He promised to bless him, to make his name great, to make him a blessing to other people. And he promised to give him the land of Canaan that his ancestors would, would one day uh, take over, or his descendants, rather, would one day take over and possess and, and live in and enjoy. And ultimately, the final promise is, is the one that's most important of all. He promised to bless all people groups. And that's a very specific word. It means all ethnic groups, all tribes, all nations on earth through Abraham. I mentioned last Sunday that we sometimes refer to this as the Abrahamic covenant that God made and that God initiated. God's purpose was to bless people from every ethnic group in the world through Abraham. And so New Testament letters like Hebrews and Romans refer back to this promise deliberately because Jews opened up the way for all people groups to walk in what Paul in Romans 4 called the footsteps of Abraham's faith. It went through the Jewish people, and then Jesus opened that up wider and wider for all people to participate in. That promise to Abraham has been kept by God and is still unfolding more and more year by year. Because, God wanted, because God's plan would take multiple centuries to unfold, he wanted his purpose to be clear, and he wanted to give people of faith reasons to hold on to hope. The end game of this promise to Abraham was nothing short of bringing together all of the people groups in this world under the very Lord who created it all. You read the book of Revelation, and that's where it's all headed at the end, that there will be a massive enfolding and regathering of people from all nations and tribes, and, and the Lord, when he returns, will restore this world to its original splendor and beauty, and justice will be brought into this world in full form, and all of the people groups that tend to be divided today will come together as one, and those who have faith in Jesus, no matter what their background, will become one tribe, one people of God. And so God made this promise to Abram. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All people groups, all nations, all races, all classes, one and blessed by God, men and women, Jews and non-Jews, 
This has been God's goal since the time of Abraham. And it started with a promise to one man and with faith from one man. And this vision spreads one person at a time as faith is spread and caught person by person wherever we exist in this world. Here's the main idea that I want to get across this morning. God's good news compels us toward a clear vision for a church that embraces the hope for harmony. The first part of that foundation is that it starts with our understanding this phenomenal promise that God made to Abram and its, its breadth and splendor and vision. Here's the second piece of that foundation. It has to do with inclusion in the promise. Inclusion in the promise made to Abraham spreads through faith. So Paul writes this in Romans chapter 4 in the New Testament. So then he, Abraham, is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, that's non-Jewish people, in order that righteousness might be credited to them, and he is then also the father of the circumcised. This is Jewish people who not only are circumcised but who also follow in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Paul is making the case that if we have this same faith in Jesus as the Messiah that God sent, regardless of background, we all become one, united by that faith in Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul references Abraham and God's promise in this letter to the Romans. Paul notes that Abraham put his faith in God's promise long before the Lord required him to be circumcised. Genesis 15, 6, a few chapters later from what we read a moment ago, says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul's point that is that we are not made righteous before God by keeping the moral law, by being part of the right tribe or family or religion. We are made righteous by God and therefore given right standing in the presence of God by God himself on the basis of our faith, our belief in his promise. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ as God's Messiah, we are following in the footsteps of Abraham's faith when he literally took God at his word. Now, these were radical words in the first century when Paul wrote them. Paul and the apostles of Jesus recognized that Jesus had opened the pathway for people of all backgrounds, all tribes, all territories, all races to share in this same faith and to share in this same promise. This transaction is critical for everyone to understand. God asks us to transfer our faith from ourselves or from our religious systems to Jesus as the one who is able to make peace with God, the one who is able to take away our sins. When we put our faith in Jesus as God's solution to our sin, rebellion, and addiction problems, he transfers to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's an exchange that he makes very freely. It is crucial that we fully acknowledge our sin in this process, otherwise we fail to see our need for Christ. And it is critical that we transfer our trust to Jesus, otherwise we are always in the business of trying to be good enough to save ourselves. And that's the, the greatest danger in American religion that exists today. It, it's not pluralism, it's not the other religions, it's among Christians who think that somehow we can be good enough to get ourselves to heaven. And that literally guts the gospel 
it, it rips out the heart of the gospel, which is we have a God who knew that we were hopeless and helpless by ourselves, and so he sent the very best that he had, his own son. Anyone who believes or thinks that he or she doesn't really need Jesus or the grace of God has missed the gospel. Friends, this is why we so often explain the good news of God's grace and invite you to put your faith in Jesus. It is not because we feel better about ourselves if you come to the point of agreement with what I'm saying today. It's because this is the only pathway that the very God of the universe offers in order to allow you and me to be included as beneficiaries in God's plan for harmony for the ages. In a few minutes, I'm going to come back to this and give you an opportunity to transfer your faith to Jesus if you haven't already, and this would be a great day to do that. Again, we come back to that central idea. God's good news compels us toward a clear vision for a church that embraces the hope for harmony. And North River is a church that embraces that hope for harmony, no matter what we look like or where we come from or where we started. Here's the third piece of that foundation. The first is that it starts with God's promise to Abram. The second is that inclusion in the promise spreads through faith. The third piece of that foundation is that Paul's vision statement shows us where this hope leads. And that leads us to Galatians 3, 28 and 29. Here, Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I want you to say something with me. I am an heir. Will you say that wherever you are this morning? I am an heir. If you believe that Jesus is the one that God sent and you've put your personal faith in him, you are an heir and you will share in all of the blessings that one day belong to Jesus and will be bestowed on Jesus. He shares them with those of us who are adopted into the family of God and who are also children of God because of our faith in him. Paul was not telling his original audience that this is how things were in the first century. No. He wrote in a day when people in the church and in the synagogue were having to confront and overcome their biases and their prejudices. And it separated them. It divided them. There was hostility between people of faith and people who didn't have faith. And Paul was confronting that with these words in Romans. Think of how Paul and Barnabas had to defend themselves when they first brought the gospel to non-Jewish people into the Gentile world. There were people who, in the early church who were scandalized by that, and they had to win them over with the knowledge of what the Holy Spirit was doing through them and how God's grace was breaking out all over the world. Think of how Paul wrote to his friend Philemon to urge him to take back Onesimus, a runaway slave, this time not as a slave but as a son and as a child of God who'd come to faith in Jesus and to welcome him freely back into his home as a brother in the midst of the congregation. Instead, Paul could see that this is what the gospel was making possible. This is where the plan of God is taking us, where racial distinctions no longer keep us from seeing each other uh, as anything except brothers and sisters where the workplace and class distinctions become secondary to being equal at God's table, where men and women work side by side as equals, each using their God-given spiritual gifts and talents 
together partnering and participating in the missional work of God's kingdom. It takes all of us. In the first century world, these three categories divided people. Women were treated very differently than men and didn't have the same rights as men. There were more slaves than there were free people in the Roman Empire. And Jews and non-Jews rarely shared much of life together. And Paul was saying, you don't understand what Christ has done for all of us, and he builds us into one family. And if you are in Christ, you are so different from all of the people in the world who want to promote division. And he is bringing us together into one family where all of the secondary distinctions that still exist pale in comparison to the oneness that we have in Christ. Paul's vision was not about obliterating or removing distinctions, but of a kingdom that embraces the distinctions God has already blessed because he sees us as one. He was not inventing something that was new. He was seeing the next step in a movement that God had started all the way back 2,000 years earlier than his time with a promise to Abram that one day all people groups in the world would be blessed through this same faith. A movement that everyone can embrace through activating personal faith in Jesus. So let me ask a question. Have you activated your faith by transferring your trust to Jesus Christ? You might wonder, why am I using that word activated? That's a very specific choice today. Because some of us, either listening online or here in the room today, may have a head knowledge, a notional belief. Oh, yes, I understand that Jesus is the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the one Jesus has sent. But you never fully embraced him in a personal way. It's not until that moment that you put your personal faith in Jesus and you stop trusting in yourself to be religious enough or good enough that that transfer takes place. And it means everything. What he asks from us is to acknowledge our need, uh, our, our sin that, that keeps us from him. And when we acknowledge that and we say, I, I understand that Jesus is the one that God sent, that Jesus is the one who is my Savior, that is putting trust in him. And at that moment, we get out of the religion business. And he transfers to us all of the righteousness that allowed us, allowed him to take our sin and that allows us to stand clean in the presence of a holy God forevermore. It doesn't fill us with pride because it's not about us pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It's not about us being better than other people. It's simply about taking a ridiculously extravagant offer from Jesus who offers to make us whole on the inside that allows us then to begin to look at the world and other people in a very different way. He calls for you to activate this faith by putting your trust in Jesus. And you can do that with me right now. If this is something that God's Spirit is nudging you to do, pray these words with me here now. Lord Jesus, I have sinned and I have rebelled against God. I need a righteousness that only you can give. I am transferring my trust from myself to be good enough and I place my trust in you. Help me to follow you and to live as an heir of your promise. Now, if you prayed a prayer like that today and you meant it, God has begun to work inside of you 
You've made a transaction with him. And even if you don't feel different on the inside right now, his spirit will begin to work in you and make you new. And you're going to need some help along the way, so I hope that you will let us know. You can email me, paul at northriverchurch.org, or any one of our staff members. You can find their email addresses on our church website, northriverchurch.org. And we'd love to talk with you and help you take some next steps. And if you did that, I want you to click the button that's going to show up on your screen. Or if you're in the room here today, let me know at the end or one of our staff members know. And the, the button says, I am putting my faith in Jesus. Mark this day down. This day becomes the beginning of a whole new outlook on life for you. This foundation leads us to lay down every attitude that promotes division and to reach across racial boundaries and class boundaries and gender boundaries to people who are on the opposite side of what sometimes can feel like a division and to see them as whole and new and complete in Jesus. Right now in our world, we're seeing a cry for justice and equality. Some misuse this moment for their own agendas and for personal violence. We stand against that. But beneath it all, our culture is crying out in hope for harmony, and we embrace the essential nature of that cry. But the only hope that we truly have comes when we see the gospel as the power of God for all. It's the power of God that will change people from the inside. Nothing else has the capacity for changing the heart and the mind and the soul. And then here's the fourth piece of this foundation. Jesus embeds this very hope in the Lord's Prayer. We started with the Lord's Prayer for a specific reason, because there's one line that Jesus uttered in the prayer that he taught his disciples in Matthew 6.10 that is so powerful. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done, and then the most dangerous words of the New Testament, on earth as it is in heaven. Every time we pray these words, we ask the Lord to cause his values to play out here and now in my life, in your life, and in our world. These words call us to work to make the vision of Galatians 3.28 a reality in our day. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, God blessed all of these groups at the beginning. He blessed all people groups and and let them know he wanted them to be a part of this. He blessed men and women from the very beginning. This foundation then calls us to become champions for the equality of God's children. I believe that one of the reasons that the Civil War and the great body counts of those battles was because Christians in the United States were slow to take the lead in abolishing slavery in our country. It didn't have to happen, but it did. I believe that one of the reasons that the civil rights movement was such a difficult struggle in this country and still is, is because the church has been far too slow to champion the freedoms that should have been extended to people of color in a nation with so many Christian people. I believe that the feminist movement would not have been necessary if the church had led the way in embracing the values of Galatians 3.28. I have sat in debates where Christian pastors in our day have more or less dismissed these verses, saying that's for someday off in the future in the kingdom of heaven. But what we just saw 
is if we really understand what Jesus taught his disciples to pray and the prayer that you and I continue to love and pray. Is he calling us to ask for and to work for these same values today, now, on earth as it is in heaven? And it is only when the subjects of the kingdom live according to his values that we can really mean what we say when we pray that thought on earth as it is in heaven. Presbyterian pastor Henry Heinz wrote about an occasion where he witnessed the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier in Arlington National Cemetery. This is specifically what he wrote. I had watched the ceremony several times before, always moved by its solemnity and precision. This time, however, I witnessed something new. When the changing of the guard was completed, the commanding officer asked us to remain standing in silence. Sergeant Jennings, who was the officer who was pacing back and forth, or the, the soldier who was pacing back and forth, had just completed 27 months of this special duty and wanted now to pay his respect to the unknown soldiers. A guard escorted Jennings' family to a place of honor. The commanding officer then handed Jennings four roses. Jennings approached the great tomb of the unknown soldier from the First World War, knelt and placed a rose before it. And then he moved with great solemn dignity to the tombs honoring unknown soldiers from the Second World War, the wars of Korea and Vietnam, kneeling to place one red rose upon each. He returned to his commanding officer and stood before him at attention where their eyes locked, they shook hands. And then Sergeant Jennings carefully removed his white gloves, returned them, and returned them with his work finished. He saluted his officer, greeted his family, and left. Henry Heinz then added after writing about that story, with tears running down my face, I thought of standing before my Lord Jesus someday taking off my gloves and handing, it, handing them to him, knowing that my job was done. Here's the point. Let's live out the vision that God has for our day. When our time is up, let's long for the day when we can take off our gloves and hand them to the Lord as he says, well done, good and faithful servant. It starts by embracing the vision that God has made so clear in Scripture that started with Abram, that was clarified by Paul, and that has lived out increasingly in our day. Hope for harmony. There is reason for you and I to have hope that God is changing the attitudes and the hearts of people, and it starts with you and me. And as he changes you and me, everything begins to change. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity the last several weeks to remind ourselves of the hope that the gospel offers in so many ways. Last week we saw how you provide hope as an anchor in the midst of storms. And today we see that hope also provides a vision for how we can let down our hurts, our biases, our prejudices, and dare to see what you are doing in other people. We pray that you will continue to grow real faith, real hope in the midst of a cry for hope that is so often misguided in our time. And we pray that you will bring this hope 
by radically changing hearts and filling people with the love of Jesus Christ that compels us to pray for our enemies, to think the best of others, to hold out hope to people from every nation and tribe of this world. For one day, all of those who love you and honor you will bow the knee before you and we will sing the same praises and we will, we will bask in the same light that comes when Jesus returns. Keep us faithful and filled with hope until that day. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the Lord who conquered death. Amen. Well, I'm really glad that you're here today. Uh, one of the things that you, we have an opportunity to do is to continue to, to give to the Lord. I want to thank you for the way that you're supporting the work here at North River, especially during this time. Our church has been incredibly faithful. So there are a couple of ways you can give. Uh, first of all, there are some buckets that will be by the door, and you can place an offering physically in there on your way out. Uh, for those of you who are at home, uh, you can give online. Uh, you can give by texting. You can, if you text to the number 77977, the words North River CC, all lowercase, North River CC, to 77977, that will take you to some prompts and you can, you can uh, give over your phone. Of course, you can uh, use your online banking through your online tools that you already have. You can mail in a check here to North River, North River Church, 334 Old Oak Street, Pembroke, Mass, 02359. But thank you for supporting the work that we do here and for being a part of this. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for holding out hope for the world because of the gospel.